welcome to the Hungry Authors Podcast. A hungry author is someone who is, quite simply, hungry for it. They're willing to do what it takes to achieve their writing dreams. If that resonates, you're in the right place. I'm Ariel. And I'm Liz. We're two book coaches, editors, and writers here to help you get there. We interview experts and chat about all things publishing and writing to educate and build a community of successful writers, whatever that means to you. Welcome. Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to the Hungry Authors Podcast. Um, Today is a little bit different of an episode that Ariel and I normally do. Um, It's going to be more personal. We're going to talk a little bit more about what's going on in our own lives and how that affects our writing and our creative life. I'm sure this will be really applicable to everybody out there, honestly. The last few years has been a lot with the pandemic and just everything going on in in our country and the fallout from from COVID-19 and people losing their jobs and kids being home and sickness and politics and all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's just been an insane few years. And on top of that, Ariel and I have had personal things in our lives, um, but our careers and our writing is really important to us, as I imagine it is to you. And so we are going to talk about how to keep going and not just keep going, but still continue to do really good work when life sucks. So off the top, We're going to tell you a little bit about what's been going on in our lives for the last year and how that has made our own writing life more difficult than it normally has been. So in June, my I have two younger brothers. They are twins. They are 34 years old. And in June, one of them passed away unexpectedly. He um, we think it was a sudden cardiac event. We actually can't be 100% sure, but he basically fell to the floor and, and his heart had stopped and he died almost instantly. And so that was on June 23rd. It was horrible. It's hopefully the worst thing that will ever happen to me. Um, and so I went home and did all the things that you do after that happens. Funeral, be there for my family. I spent a lot of time with my surviving brother who they lived together so that was just it's been extra hard for him they're even super close and 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 had bought recently bought a house together i did all those things i also had a manuscript deadline due 12 days after the funeral and and of course have had many other projects deadlines since then and even taken on a couple new projects and it's been five months almost so that's what's been going on in my life and what I deal with when it comes to everything. We're going to talk about the way that specifically affects work here in a minute and my and your writing life and your author career. Ariel, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody what you've been going through? And I think everyone I know has been going through something like in addition to all the crazy world stuff that you mentioned, It seems like everyone has all of that and some other special, horrible thing happening in their lives. So we hope that this is really applicable to everyone. But for me, my husband and I have been trying to get pregnant and start a family for going on five years now. We've had three miscarriages in that time. 
and it's been really hard to get pregnant. We have done um, about two years of fertility treatments. With that comes just a cycle of hormone treatments that I'm constantly on and then weaning myself off of, you know, lots of um, physical fluctuations in how I feel for the past two years and the constant cycle of hope when we start a new treatment cycle and then grief when it hasn't worked out. So we've done three rounds of IUI. The third one ended in a chemical pregnancy. So basically we got pregnant and then lost it within the next couple of weeks. And then we've done three rounds of IVF. Thankfully we have many embryos still, but with each failed transfer cycle in IVF, we're, you know, watching all of those embryos disappear. And so each failed IVF cycle feels like a little, a little death in some ways. And because it's been happening for so long, it's been this just constant dull ache, not dull. <laughs> Sometimes it feels very acute, <laughs> but it's been this constant companion with me for the past few years, especially in the last two years, as we've been going through treatments and felt like, okay, now we're getting medical intervention. This is going to be helpful. We're going to find answers. And even with all of the testing that we've done, everything has come up inconclusive. We've been told over and over again, you're perfectly healthy. There's no reason why this is not happening. It doesn't make sense. You should have been pregnant many times over in the last five years. And for whatever reason, it's just not happening. So living with that kind of just constant grief has definitely taken a toll on my creative life and my work at times. Although like you, Liz, I want to show up and give everything my best all the time, especially, you know, I've thought a lot about how, when we talk about writing books, so many times people talk about how writing a book is like having a baby. <laughs> and I've used that analogy myself. And I have this weird feeling about using that analogy when it comes to the book life, because, and actually someone the other day told me that she's looking for a book doula and she was coming to me asking if I would be her book doula. That's really good. <laughs> and I was like, yes. And that feels like a really weird space for me because I, as far as I know, I can't give birth to anything. <laughs> so there's a lot of um, weird irony that comes up in being an editor and a writer who is also experiencing infertility for a long time. Yeah. And something you and I talk about too, just but like personally in our boxer messages and stuff is how it uh, certainly there's no real correlation here except a coincidence, I think, but, but that in our professional lives, the years this past year, which have been, you know, incredibly hard for both of us in different ways have also been like the most remarkable professionally, you know, yeah. like, oh yeah, we both like started freelancing around the same time and that's gone like better than either of us have ever expected. We've made more money than we've ever made. We got 
uh, like an agent, we started yeah. this, we've taken on incredible projects. And so it's just like balancing those deep pains, but with also this like great stuff that's going on that also comes with some real responsibility and a follow through. Yeah, that's right. We can't, we can't really afford to just check out whenever we feel like it, because in many cases, our, you know, our lives and our families depend on us and what we do, you know, we have real bills to pay exactly. <laughs> and we, this is how we make a living and life doesn't stop because we're hurting. Yeah, exactly. And that's an important point we'll make uh, throughout the conversation, but certainly right here up top is that, you know, when something horrible happens, it is great to take time. And we, I want to make it very clear that if you, if what you need is to step away and take time, especially, you know, if you're experiencing, you know, a deep depression or intrusive thoughts or something, then like, absolutely do whatever you need to do that. Ariel and I have taken pockets of that, but both of us have a life. Yeah. Where we just can't take six months off of what we're doing without extreme detriment to like our projects and our careers and, and our family lives. It was important to us to find a way to deal with grief in a healthy way and, um, and keep going professionally and do good work. And so I'll start by, you know, and again, this conversation is not, it's not like a how to, like how to write a great book when you're really, really sad, <laughs> you know, cause we don't have like answers necessarily, but we have, we have some things that we've done that work for us, that we're still figuring it out. And we've thought through that in the last week. And we're not counselors either. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> so please don't take this as um, professional advice on grieving or uh, mental health or wellness. We're just two writers living our lives, dealing with some hard things. And if nothing else, we hope that this is empathetic and a message of just communion with other people who are going through hard things while trying to show up and be their best every day as well. So at the beginning, or I suppose in June and July, this might sound a bit obvious, but it actually wasn't for me, is that um, one of the first things I did was be honest with my the people in my life, my professional colleagues who, who I was working with, to tell them what happened. Um, and I actually didn't at first. Uh, the first day or two, I sent a generic email of like, I have a family emergency, which is perfectly fine. Again, this is not prescriptive in any way. I'm I so if that's how you want to handle it, I think that's perfectly valid. I sent an email to to the editors that I work with and and some of my clients and said I have a family emergency. And then after about 24 hours, that just didn't feel true enough and you know, it wasn't just a like a temporary thing. It was something that was going to be ongoing would affect me well, forever, but certainly acutely for the next few months. And I also just, I value my relationship with my clients and my agency partners and, and wanted to just on a personal level, let them know what had happened to me. Um, and I had a long conversation with my friend, Amanda Bosch about this. She's um, a freelancer too. She was at um, HarperCollins for a long time. She's amazing, an amazing editor. And, um, and she did something similar. And so I did, I told, I did sent a follow-up email and just said, listen, um, my, my brother died unexpectedly 
and I'm in Florida planning his funeral, I, I need, you know, I won't be back for two weeks basically. And, um, and of course everyone was lovely and encouraging and supportive and, and it was great, but it felt, you know, I mean, your experience with this Ariel is probably different because it wasn't, you know, like fertility is just more of an ongoing thing and there's no like necessarily a huge moment you know but i just the point here is and again this is so nuanced but i do want to just share from my perspective that it was very rewarding and fulfilling honestly a deepening of the professional relationship to just let people in on what was going on i was worried about all kinds of stuff i was worried i was crossing a professional boundary i don't know why like my brother died what was i supposed to do like not tell not like act like that didn't happen but i there are still i think expectations of like you know talking about hard stuff in professional setting feels like it's just still weird we don't know how to handle that you know and i didn't want people to worry my clients especially to worry that like my focus would be taken off their project i was now going to be this complete mess who couldn't do anything i yeah i just i just i did worry about what people would think honestly but i did i did tell them what was going on and it was was great, honestly, and it, it it was hopeful, and I think has only positive effect in my relationships with them. And you know, I haven't had to do a lot of like, hey, like I, you know, I'm having a bad day. I need to cancel our call. I haven't really done much of that. But for they, now, they have context when I say, hey, I'm taking a week off. I'm going down to Florida to visit my brother. They have context for what for why this is important to me, why these boundaries are, why it's just, I mean, I guess we should always respect boundaries, but now they have context for why they're in place and respect them further. And, and that's just been, it's been great. And I, so I encourage people, if you're going through something hard, like let somebody professionally, especially like if you work in a creative space, let somebody in on it, tell them what's going on. Uh, And even in one of my like grief books, I think it was like modern loss. They're like, you can even designate like a grief, like you can tell somebody like, I did this with one of my editors. I ended up telling everybody because I got more comfortable with it, but I did end up telling one person first. And I said, I don't mind if everyone knows, I just don't want to tell them, you know? Yes. Sort of designate your grief, like whatever, <laughs> announcer buddy who can yep. just like go tell people. So I don't know. Have you done any of this? Delegate like, that. Just- yeah. I have thought a lot about this when, um, when I got pregnant the first time I was still working at the publishing company that I worked at for a long time, Corwin, I had been there already for many years and had many very close friends. My boss and I, you know, she's still one of my closest friends. And I had just been at a conference where I told everyone we were, we had already heard the baby's heartbeat. We were at about 10 weeks. We, as far as we knew, everything was going well. And so I started telling people and my husband and I were okay with that. We had already told our families. So I started telling, you know, my beloved coworkers and friends who I saw at the conference. And then of course, as things do at companies, you know, word got round. So I'm pretty sure everyone at my company knew that I was pregnant. And then I got home from the conference and a week and a half later, we found out that the baby, um, had died at some point. I had to have a DNC, a surgery to extract the baby and everything. And I did the same thing. I told my boss, I told, you know, the couple people that I was closest to. And then I asked my boss, Hey, 
I know I just told everyone that I'm pregnant. <laughs> can you please be the bearer of this bad news? Because I don't think I can handle telling people. The nice part was, I think like you, I experienced so many wonderful messages. Like so many people reached out and were so understanding women at the company who had been through miscarriages and similar situations reached out to me and just said, Hey, we're thinking of you. We know how hard this is and we're with you. And that meant the world to me. I've found that communication around it has gotten harder. That, that actually was pretty not easy, obviously, but what I wanted to do was clear to me and that time. And as time has gone on, and as I've left that company and now I'm working for myself, I have more internal conflict around, should I tell people? How much should I tell people? What should I say? How is this person going to react? I'm just not sure anymore about the communication. And so sometimes I find myself saying something and then going, oh shoot, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Or what's been interesting too is I've had some clients say things like, Hey, in my book, I mention motherhood. Will that be painful for you? Will you be okay with that? Can I do that? Do you still want to be my editor? Mm -hmm. And that has been weird for me. Cause I'm like, of course I still want to be your editor. I like, we talked about this yesterday with, um, Ali Fallon, but I love you. I have so much affection for you. <laughs> Of course, I want to edit your book. And, and that brings me joy, you know, to, to read about. And, and I love being part of your story. But I do wonder sometimes if I tell people, will they self-select not to work with me because they know or they wonder that it may be hard for me, which I appreciate the thought. <laughs> but please keep sending me your manuscripts, even if they're about motherhood, um, because I very much want to be a mother. That doesn't feel, um, it doesn't feel hard for me to, to edit books about that, but, but in general communication, I guess the lines have gotten more gray for me in the last couple years, especially with the cycle of hope and then disappointment. And I don't like getting people's hopes up and then disappointing them again. And so usually when we're doing a treatment, I don't share that unless there's someone I really am very close to. Yeah, that makes, that's so interesting. It makes a lot of sense. And I feel like too, I got to imagine it gets more complicated because I'm experiencing this a little bit. And I saw, I saw a clip on TikTok because I'm on TikTok now. Um, I haven't made a TikTok, but I am a TikTok observer. The day is coming. The day is coming. I am a TikTok casual observer right now. You're a lurker. Take, I'm a lurker. I'm a, I'm a TikTok <laughs> peeping Tom. Um, that, but that with people's consent, because they put it out there. Um, right. But I saw something about how um, a lot of people, uh, gr like year two of grief of, uh, of a loss is actually harder because <clears throat> I think there's the specific, the specific like attribute of a, of a loss that shock sort of like sustains you for a little while and and almost and does make it easier to deal with because it just feels i don't you don't really feel anything sometimes but then the awareness really sinks in that like they're not coming back like it feels so weird to talk about because this just seems like it should be so obvious but it's not like at some point 
the they're not coming backness really just becomes real and it takes a while like it's just now happening to me and I gotta imagine similarly for you even though our our griefs are different as time goes on and this isn't the fault of anybody this is just the way life works is that people forget and they assume it gets better when in a lot of ways for you it's actually getting worse yeah like the acute loss of a miscarriage is horrible um but then like the ongoing like you said the ups and downs of infertility the you know will it ever happen will it not and and it, it does complicate communication especially if you're having a really hard day or you're having a really hard week you know and you just do need some time or you, you need something that you, I don't know feels important to communicate you know it does feel weird to say like I know this happened a year ago it still affects me deeply and it's still and it's actually worse like this is what I, I wonder you need time at the beginning because of the logistics you know like the funeral and the travel and of course for miscarriage there's all the health things that you have to take care of yeah but sometimes I wonder if it's like you need people need to talk more about like taking two weeks off like six months later yeah you know when things are when things feel more real and you like can actually think about it but yeah like as time goes on it's like well are people sick of hearing me talk about it do I just feel like I'm dragging this on now does it feel like I'm making too big of a deal of it yeah will people self-select like one of one of my memoirs it's totally different it's not about the loss of a it's not about death but it is about uh trauma and i was afraid she would see my client might see me as too emotionally fragile you know to like get into that with her but honest to god like the truth is sometimes i am not to talk to her about it like if i have a call with her on this schedule i feel uh, like a responsibility to um to take care of myself in a way that i can meet that that obligation but when i dig into write and maybe for you even when you're like editing manuscripts maybe not about motherhood i don't know have you ever have you been pitched anything recently that's about like pregnancy because that might be hard no i haven't been pitched anything recently about pregnancy and you're right that I don't know. I've never been pitched something about pregnancy. So I don't actually know how I would feel about that particular topic. But motherhood, I have edited a couple books about motherhood and that's been fine. I I really enjoy them. Because I wonder if it was like, and I don't want to dissuade, if you've got a great pregnancy memoir, like send it to Ariel. I'm sure she'll be fine. (laughs) But but like, because like with my trauma memoir, like I just have to be, I have to be more careful about it. Before June, I didn't think much about it. I mean, it is still like a heavy topic my amazing client went through, but um, but in general, like if I had three three hours blocked out to write on a Thursday afternoon, like I could do that. And I didn't have to think much about it. But now I have to really plan for that. You know, and what I mean by that is I have to make sure I've slept enough. I have to not do anything griefy before like within the 24 hours and what i mean by that like is don't think about honest to god i mean like don't think about jack don't that's that's the name that's my brother's name um don't think about it don't don't dig into any of my grief books that i'm reading don't don't talk to you know try not to talk about it a lot yeah get some good sleep do something that feels like fulfilling, like take a bath or watch like a fun show that I enjoy. I just really have to like 
prep prop myself up in a way to dig into it because emotionally I just don't have like the reserves that I that I did and it requires more of me to get into it I don't feel that way about you know some of my nonfiction prescriptive books that you know I adore but don't require much emotionally and so yeah that's I guess the other uh, point I would say about this is like perhaps if you don't have the time to fully step away from your life especially like your creative life it just going like dealing with a loss or a grief it just might require you to to have I, I never had any kind of like ramp up you know to like creative work i just could sit down and do it and i actually remember bj novak talking about this i don't it wasn't in, re- in relation to a grief but bj novak talked about this a little bit on either Tim Ferriss's podcast or Pete Holmes's podcast, but he basically was talking about, he called it like, shoot, I'm going to forget. But basically it was this, it was like, you're, you're revving yourself up. You're like filling yourself up for the day because creative work requires a lot of like mental energy, a lot of emotional energy, depending on what you're working on. And if you're going through grief, it's extra that. And so I did have to develop you know, a lot of this was around managing my energy, which is especially low because of this and I did have to look further ahead at my calendar okay when am I gonna have to you know dig into this like harder thing and then I just have like a however you know it might vary person to person but however long you need ahead of time like keep yourself happy as much as you can like do the things that fill you up and then like dig into it so you can bring whatever version of your best self is able to appear that day and then you can let yourself fall apart. I mean, sometimes after I talk to my memoir client or dig into it, I do um, I do let myself be sad afterwards. Or like I let myself sort of get get into one of my grief books or do something that I know will, you know, will send me in, into a grief spiral in a healthy way, I guess, if that makes sense, you know, because you can't avoid it for too long. You know, you have to let yourself after like a few days of just putting it on a shelf and being like, I just, I can't deal with you right now. I can't see you. La la la. I'm fine. I just, you just can't do that for too long. And then at some point you do have to set aside time. I think that's what I'm beginning to understand what people mean when they say like, you have to schedule time to grieve. It's like, okay, after I've gotten through my writing that I needed to get through, okay, now it's time to sit on the couch and read this book that I know is going to make me feel a million feelings and just do that for a couple hours. So that's so healthy though. It's so good. I do that as well. One of the most healing things that I took up again this year was piano. I played piano for a very long time and then I stopped taking lessons for 14 years. And I decided this year that I needed, I needed that creative outlet again. And even though, you know, I played piano, I wasn't really dedicating it, dedicating myself to it the way I wanted to. So one of the things that has been helpful for me when I feel overwhelmed or when I want to grieve, there's one particular song that is like a lullaby and it was written by someone who had experienced miscarriage. And that song I play on the piano when I want to remember my babies that I've lost, when I want to cry, when I want to have those moments of just letting myself fall apart because it feels healthy. But it's so interesting with having to put, you know, emotions to the side when you know you just have to get work done. With our last IVF transfer, we had been, you know, waiting to find out the results. We knew that I was going to go in for my blood test on a Friday morning. Mm -hmm. And I told 
the staff at the fertility clinic when we were there, hey, I have a few very important meetings today and I cannot know the results of this test before those meetings. I need to know the results of this test after those meetings, because I need to be able to show up and do these meetings. It was the final day of one of my group coaching cycles. And so I knew like, this is my final group coach meeting. I have to show up and do a good job. You know, it's saying goodbye to all these people that I love. And I just cannot have that on my brain while I'm doing that. And then when I got home, I even sent a message again to the fertility clinic and was like, Hey, just a reminder, I know I was just there and I just said this, please don't send me the results until like after 3 p.m. today. Yeah, that's good. And then at noon, I got an email. Oh no. With the results in the subject line. <gasps> I didn't know that part. Oh, yeah. why did they do that? I don't know why they did that because I was planning so hard I know. for that not to happen. Oh my God. And it destroyed me. It just broke our hearts. And it made my, you know, last couple meetings that I had to do that day so much harder. It was just awful. And we're no longer working with that fertility clinic, not just for that reason. <laughs> there were, there were other things that happened too, but, um, yeah. that was just, that was really, really rough. And I don't really know what the moral of that story is besides just sometimes you can't avoid it. I did still show up to my last meetings. I did not feel comfortable telling the people in those meetings what was going on because it was so fresh and so new. I honestly did just kind of tuck it away in my brain and was like, I will fall apart as soon as this meeting's over, but right now I just got to show up. Yep. And so I just put it in that little space in my brain and was like, I'm going to, I'm going to come back to this, <laughs> but I will never forget that because it just broke my heart. Yeah. And I feel like I don't hear enough people say, you know, I think most of the talk around grief and trauma, probably necessarily so, is like, feel your feelings, take the time, you know, do what you have to do. And that's great and important. But I also do think it's important to say, especially for professionals, for, yeah, people like parents, if you need to put it away, it's okay to just put it away. Like, you can't do that forever. But sometimes it's it's a survival mechanism, like both like literally and like professionally, you know? Yeah. You just, you can't be canceling things all the time if, you know, it just, it just can't always happen. And so it is okay to put it away sometimes. Uh, Liz, have you been writing a lot about your grief? Because I know you've written at least one article on Medium and you've talked about starting a sub stack. So what are your thoughts on writing about your grief? I did write one thing that I really liked and got a great response. It was my original intention to write an, an update every month about it. And then that quickly became too much, not even not writing wise, like it was emotionally too much. I just didn't want to like, that kind of goes into the shock thing. It was like, and the first month I was like, yeah, okay. Like this is, you know, I mean, it's horrible, but my brain was kind of going like, this is interesting. Let's like dig into this let's share you know and then like yeah. month two month three month four it becomes more real and I would kind of be like oh I need to write my monthly update and I was just like no I don't I can't I don't want to get into that again you know and it became harder so I haven't been doing that but I am starting a sub stack about about this topic in general like grief and and your professional life tell them the title because I love the title 
Yeah, it's going to be called Griefy Business. Um, <laughs> and it will have the same flair as all of my personal writing that I don't bring to my ghostwriting life. Uh, my my personal writing is pretty irreverent and sassy. Sassy. Yeah. I love it. And so um, it's not like a journey of the soul. Let's just talk about all of our feelings, kind of a griefy um, substack, although <clears throat> those are wonderful. That's just not really, it's not how I write, but it's also not how I usually process things. It'll be, it'll be a lot like this, but I, I do intend to write a lot more about it there. Um, I think it's become pretty clear to me that this will, I think in one way or another, just define the rest of my life and certainly the rest of my writing life. I'm sure I, I'll go on to write stuff that isn't about grief, but I think, you know, you can relate to this. It's just so much of, it's not just like one thing, right? Mm -hmm. It becomes, you know, it, it filters everything that you do and, um, and there's just no really separating it. Yeah. I haven't done much writing about it beyond that one thing yet. It just has felt too, too fresh. Although I, I am beginning to feel the itch again, that like writing about it will help. And I have pretty regularly subscribed to the idea of like writing from scars instead of open wounds. But honestly, you know, cause this is still going to be to some degree an, an open wound. I guess I'm just not that worried about it, about that part anymore. You know, that like, perhaps there's some balance that like, you don't have to wait years until the experience is over and you've processed everything there is to process, but writing about it late at night after two glasses of wine, when you're bawling is also probably, you know, too close, <laughs> you know, but I yeah, think there might yeah. be some sort of in between where you can talk honestly about what you're experiencing right now in a healthy, helpful way. And so, yeah, I'm, I am going to start writing more about that because I really haven't, but I know you've done some for, um, for yourself, but also for like some pretty big pregnancy blogs or. Yeah. I mean, I've been journaling since second grade almost every day. So I, I definitely have leaned into my journaling practice, my morning pages to just help with the everyday, this is how I'm feeling and this is what's going on. And just to tune in with myself, um, I'm an Enneagram nine and it is very easy for me to just go many days without thinking about how I'm feeling <laughs> just because I'm so externally focused on everyone and everything around me that without a regular practice of checking in with myself, if you asked me how I was feeling, I would be like, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't asked myself in days. <laughs> uh, that I, I, we're, I mean, we're different, very different numbers. I'm a five on the Enneagram. I always answer the, how are you feeling question? Like I never have a good answer. And I often don't know. I just, I don't know. I'm very, can be very out of touch with my emotions as well. Yeah. I'm like, as an Enneagram nine, I'm like, I don't know. How are you feeling? Cause that's probably how I'll feel after spending some time with you. <laughs> let me absorb your energy and then I'll let you know. Exactly. I'll just, I'm just be a little sponge over here for all your vibes and then, then I'll be fine. So yeah, journaling has been the number one writing practice that has been helping me, especially when I don't know what I want to say to other people and I do have strong feelings. My journal is a safe place where I can do that without having to worry about how is this going to impact someone else? 
what if they're pregnant right now? And then now they don't want to tell me anything. Right. <laughs> All of those kinds of questions that run through my brain now, I don't have to worry about that when I'm journaling. But like you said, I have also felt this urge to share my story. And that kind of shifted when I, when my husband and I were getting ready to start IVF. I thought, oh my gosh, I don't know anyone who's been through IVF. Turns out I actually did know people who had gone through IVF. I just didn't know that they had gone through IVF because they'd never talked about it. And so I didn't know that these people in my life had gone through this thing. I thought, oh my gosh, nobody <laughs> that I know has gone through this. I have no idea what to expect. And so I got involved in some online groups where people were just sharing so openly about their bodies and their health and their emotions. And I was like, wow, that's so freeing. I've never had a space where I could do that so openly. And I stumbled across um, the blog Pregnantish, which is for people who are dealing with infertility and all kinds of issues with getting pregnant. And I found it to be this incredibly warm, open, honest space. And immediately when I started reading the articles on Pregnantish, I was like, oh, this is something really special. I felt less alone and reading all of their articles made me want to share my own story. I was like, oh, if they can share their story, I want to share my story. So I wrote a blog post for them in October last year called Loving My Body Through Infertility. And it was about how my relationship with my body has changed so much because of infertility. I used to have so much confidence and I never, I, I'm very blessed. I never really had a whole lot of, you know, body issues until I started <laughs> having fertility issues. And then I felt betrayed. I was like, wait a minute. I've always been healthy. I've always been able to do these things. What is going on? And so that has been hard for me. So I wrote about that and that seemed to resonate with a lot of people. And so then I shared about some other things that I've been through. I've written three articles for them now. And then I wrote about my most recent failed IVF transfer on my own blog. Um, and that one was about right after our failed transfer, I did a piano recital, which was <laughs> emotional for a lot of reasons. And my parents were visiting us and there was just all kinds of stuff going on that weekend. It was just a lot. And to be honest, I don't think it's my best written article. It's not like a great piece of writing, but like you said, I, it actually felt good to kind of write about this open wound a little bit and even to put it out there. Right. I've had a lot of people say literally every single other article on my website is about writing except for this one article, <laughs> but I get more comments on that article and more people emailing me and saying, even in person, um, at a conference we recently went to, someone came up to me and said, your article on your website about infertility just really touched me. And that helps a lot when I get those kinds of responses. And I it's just, again, another moment of, okay, I'm not alone in this and other people get it. Yeah. And there, I think too, you know, and it, and it's part of why we wanted to share this episode early on about the two of us, aside from just help sharing some, some helpful things that we've done in this process, but also there comes a certain point I have felt anyway, where 
you know, I don't need to like necessarily dig into it with everybody, but it doesn't feel like you really know me if you don't know this thing about me. Yes. You know, yes, totally. And it's like that, I think that's part of what I was experiencing with, you know, my, my clients and my, um, my editors and agents where it was like, you know, I don't, I don't need with everyone in my life. It certainly would not be a healthy thing to just go in, just go there with everybody. But it does feel like it's so defining of, of everything about our lives that if you don't know it, you don't really know me, you know? Yeah. And in a way it is a sign. If, if I feel comfortable telling you this, it's because I want a deeper relationship with you. It's because there is a level of trust there and it's, it's almost this like little offering exactly. of friendship, like, Hey, know me better. And I want to know you better. Right. I mean, almost even my newer clients and, 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 uh, you know, agency people, even some of them responded with like, you know, oh, my sister died when I was 19. My, I had, my grandma died. My, you know what I mean? Like there's, it's very rare that someone didn't reply with some form of like me too, honestly, you know, even if like they haven't been through infertility or or something like they know somebody who has, or they have another grief. It's like, again, this sounds so cheesy and, and I don't know why we forget this in this process, but it, we were human, right? Like what did I expect? I would say that my brother had died and all of these people would just have never known anyone who died or like would never have any kind of a relatable experience to that. Like, of course that's not true. Everybody has something about that. Like we think about trauma and grief sometimes as like a niche, but it's really not. It's like everybody, you know? Have you thought about how you'll handle anniversaries? Um, a little bit. Yeah. Christmas. Well, to start, I'm just sort of dreading them, all things like we did our uh, my family goes to the beach every September. And we've done it ever since I was little, we go to the same place, we go for a week. And we did that. That was our first big thing in September. Yeah, I don't know. People were asking me about it and it's hard. It's kind of like the feelings thing where I was like, I guess it was fine. Like it wasn't bad. It wasn't especially fun. Yeah, it just feels like we made it through. And I've heard from a lot of people that that's how it feels at the beginning where you're like, oh, we like we did it. We didn't, you know, like fall apart and we showed up. And was it like super fun? No, I don't really have great memories from it, but it didn't I didn't hate it and I feel the same way about Christmas you know me and my mom and my other brother have been talking about Christmas and we're like we have all these big traditions a lot of them centered on Jack um because he was he's just very um he was very into Christmas he was into like festive things and parties and he was just kind of a life of the party kind of a guy so a lot of the things that we would do actually center on him and traditions he set and just like sort of these funny rules like he like we weren't we were not allowed to wrap our presents in bags like we can't use bags because it's really (laughs) important to jack that we like wrap them with actual wrapping paper in boxes because opening a bag is just like not that fun and jack was all about like okay if you use bags yes exactly like you use bags you are taking away from the experience and you are lazy and you don't care about christmas so yeah and if you read um I, I even put that in his obituary. I wrote his obituary, um, which was something else. I ended up sharing um, his obituary with 
with a lot of my clients and my agency partners. And that ended up being incredibly cool. I had some, I had a lot of people ask me if they could share it, which was very moving. But so all that to say this Christmas, we were trying to decide whether, like, are we going to lean into all that? Are we going to do what we know Christmas Eve? We do this big Christmas dinner. We cook fillets. We do twice baked potatoes. We just have all, we have a fancy sit down dinner. We put the kids down and we do this adult thing. And I, you know, I, I told my mom the other day, um, I was honest with her and just said, I don't want to disregard all of that forever, but I, I don't want to do it this year. Like I'll, I want to be with you guys and be together, but I want to order Chinese and just like watch a movie or something like the idea of sitting down at that dining room table. I just don't know if I can do that. So I'm mostly dreading, I'm mostly dreading it, but I, don't think it will always feel that way because I've already thought of, you know, like come June, what are we going to do? And I do, you know, have moments of thinking like wanting to do something happy, you know, wanting to like not have a party per se, but like go somewhere or have a get together. And, um, you know, especially just that, that, you know, he was just sort of like a, you know, a, a party animal kind of a person that that feels like an honoring way. So I'm beginning to think about it, but but this the first few have just been about sort of dreading it and getting through without like falling apart. Yeah, I don't know. Do you have any like rituals or things that you do intentionally around all of this stuff? I don't know. What do you like remember? I'm sure you do. I I uh my my pregnancy journey is is not at all like yours, but I suffered two losses early in my uh my pregnancies as well. And um, I mean, you never forget like the dates, right? Yeah. The two chemical pregnancies, I, you know, I didn't let myself get attached. So when I got a positive pregnancy test, I was just like, all right, well, we'll see. But the first one, you know, we made it to, we made it past the eight week appointment. We had heard the heartbeat and everything. So that, that was the big one. The day of our 12 week appointment, when we found out we had lost the baby, was also my dad's birthday, which was hard. It was hard the next year on my dad's birthday, but it actually has helped since then Mm -hmm. because it's been three years now. So it actually helped having my dad's birthday on the same day. Cause now I'm like, it's dad's birthday. That's, that's what I want to remember. That's what I want to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. I think the harder date has been my due date from that one which was January 30th and my best one of my best friends had her second baby on January 30th 2 years after our baby would have been born yeah and that was really hard for me i was happy for her obviously so so happy for her does not take away my joy for her but it was just a really weird day of like there's joy and also there's more grief because of that too. Sure. Yeah. For some reason that date is always harder for me than even the day that we lost the baby um or found out we had lost the baby. Yep. But like you said it's also weird because I like I don't want to think about it too much that day and also I want people to remember. Right. I'm always thinking about it, but yeah, it's, it is kind of weird dealing with anniversaries. I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. Well, I love what you said. I had a good friend ask me a couple weeks ago, like, 
I was having an especially hard uh, week around some of this stuff. And I was trying to verbalize why it was hard. And I ended up saying, I just feel like people are starting to forget. And yes. And I don't, again, I want to reiterate, like, I don't expect to be, I don't even expect people to remember. Like I, and oh, I, it's, yeah. it's, it's an unrealistic expectation that I'm, that, you know, everyone in my life is going to constantly be thinking about this. It just, yeah. and I know you feel the same way. It just, it still doesn't take away from the very normal, realistic, expected pain that no one will remember like you will. And, and maybe, you know, Josh and, and my mom and my dad and my brother, like nobody, they will forget, you know, yeah. and they will remember on and off. And that's very important and meaningful, but to a lot of, to a, to a high degree, um, they will forget and we will remember and, and it will continue to affect us forever. And that's why, like, you know, when people my answer now when people ask me like what can I do what do you need I'm like I don't really need much I just need you to remember and that's that's why like those texts of just like saying you know checking in on holidays or you know even random days it's not just that they're asking me if I need anything because I always say no it's that they have remembered and that's like the most important thing because especially yeah with like a loss, even though our losses are different, like it's not even as much sometimes about, <clears throat> pardon me, remembering me and what I'm going through as it is about remembering him, you know, yes. like it is like your baby. Sometimes the only way that they live on is if people remember. So I guess the moral of this story <laughs> as both of us um, <laughs> sit here wiping away tears right, is, um, if someone you know is going through a hard time, maybe one of the best things you can do is just remember with them and let them know that you're remembering with them. And that it is possible to feel all of this and have really, really rough days and still sit down at your computer and like produce really, really great work. You know, um, in a lot of ways, it will um, define define your life, whether that's forever or just for a period. Um, and that doesn't have to take away from, you know, your professional goals of writing good work and being a published author and developing deep meaning relationships with other people in the industry, you know, you don't have to be afraid that, that everything in your life will suffer because of this. It might even make it deeper and richer and better, even if you're not writing about it. You know, I haven't done hardly any writing around this exact thing, but I still bring it to my ghostwriting projects and, and that's okay. I still think it can make you better. And, and I encourage you if you have been struggling to let somebody in your professional life in on it, you know, invite, integrate that. Like Jenna Kutcher had a really great podcast a while ago about integration and how she doesn't think about things as balance anymore, but she thinks about, she thinks about them as integration, you know, that like Hmm. you don't have to separate in her case, she was speaking specifically about 
about parenthood, but I think of it more in terms of like this, this part of my life is that um, you don't have to necessarily keep it separate. You can integrate it and you can take a day off when you need to, and you can put it away when you need to, and you can keep moving forward. And yeah. And like you said, you're not alone. We're, we're all, so many people are going through rough stuff and worry about all kinds of things that have to do with it. But one of the things we worry a lot about is how will it affect my career? You know, where are two people doing it, trying to make big things happen and navigate what might be the hardest time of our lives. So anything else to add before we wrap up? I can't think of anything to say as well as you said it. So I think we should end there and just wish everyone listening the best in whatever hard thing you may be going through. Mm -hmm. We hope that you just know that you're not alone, that you have friends. And if you are a writer going through a hard time and you want to reach out to us to just say, Hey, this is a bad day, but I'm still here and I'm showing up. We would love to just support you and encourage you in doing that. And you can contact us, either of us at our personal Instagrams, um, or on the hungry authors Instagram. And we would love to know about what you're going through. If you want to share and we hope that we can encourage you. Thanks for being part of the Hungry Authors community. If you like this episode, could you do us a huge favor? Head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We would so appreciate it. You can also follow us on Instagram at Hungry Authors or HungryAuthors.com, our website, to get more information about our masterclasses and upcoming episodes. Remember that you have a story and a message worth publishing. And if you've got the hunger, you can make it happen. 